0: John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Good morning. My name is Jana,
1: and a very warm welcome to HT if you're visiting this morning. If you're a student who's just come back, again, very warm welcome. Um, if you haven't met me, I have been around HT for probably something like almost eight years, more or less now. I came as an undergrad um, way back when um, and survived my exams. So if you're worried, guys, it can happen. Survived my exams, came out the other side and still loving life. So there we go. There's hope yet. Um, And uh, as ever, it is a great joy and privilege to um, explore the Bible with you this morning. So we're going to um, dive into this little passage about Jesus turning water into wine. Um, but before we do, I just need to explain something. Um, has anyone, anyone come across Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Familiar with the story? Lots of nods, very good. Um, well, if you don't know, uh, there's Roald Dahl's great story about Charlie's little boy who wins the chance to go to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. And of course, they don't just make chocolate. There, they make all sorts of wonderful things. And there's one particular thing which is still in development, which is a gum, a bubble gum, chewing gum. Yeah, do you remember this? And this particular chewing gum isn't just one flavor. No, no, no. This chewing gum is, in one bite, a whole meal. And you chew it, and first it's like creamy tomato soup going down your throat. And then I think it's like roast beef or something like that. I can't quite remember. And then it goes on to blueberry pie, which is where there's still a little hiccup, if you remember the story. But in this one bite is a whole meal. This passage is a whole meal in one bite. John has magically, by which I mean poetically, somehow packed everything into these 11 verses. Almost every theme and event of Jesus' life and ministry is in here some way, somehow, and I'm not exaggerating that, okay? I mean, you've got his life, his death, his resurrection, what it means to be a disciple, the kingdom of God, why Jesus had to die, what prayer is about, and what the end of time will be like, and it's all in here. (laughs) So, um, we're not gonna be able to explore everything in this passage because this passage is about everything as far as I can work out so we are going to have to content ourselves with but three but three things out of this passage this morning Um, and I'm sure that will be more than enough for us so will you pray with me before we dive in father thank you so much for the chance to be together this morning father thank you for a beautiful day for the life that is here in baptisms and in children and in worship Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that there is as much power in it now, today, as there has ever been. We pray that you would reveal yourself to us. Show us what you're like and make us more like you, we pray. Amen. Okay. The first thing to savor in this passage, okay, is fairly obvious, but I wouldn't want us to miss it, okay? And it's this. Jesus Christ is at a wedding He's at a party, and he's not just kind of, you know, tucked his head around the door, you know, he probably should go, so he's kind of like dipped in, said his or and left. Jesus is at a wedding. He's there until the wine runs out, and then he makes more. I just want to highlight this, because if your idea of Jesus is that he's somehow anti-party, that he's boring, that Christianity is stay home, kill joy life, Behold, the celebration, the life. It is hard to think, actually, of a way that he could more emphatically give his blessing to this party than making wine like he does. He has basically swooped in and saved the party, hasn't he? He saved the party. And the other thing to notice as well is that this is like, this is the kickoff of his ministry This is like the first time he's showing his hand. He starts his whole ministry by saving a party. So I say again, if your idea of Jesus and of Christianity is anti-party, is killjoy, behold the celebration. Behold the life and joy that's here. So that's the first thing, very short and sweet. The second flavor Second thing to pull out and savor in this passage, I wonder if you noticed something. Look at the very end of our passage in verse 11. Hopefully you've still got your Bibles out because we'll be looking back at it. Verse 11. John, who's, who's writing this account, summarizes this. He says, in he, as in Jesus, thus revealed his glory. He thus revealed his glory. What does he mean by that? John seems to say that this event somehow encapsulates all of Jesus' purpose and plan. It's like saying this event, in this event, Jesus kind of hints at his winning play, his winning shot, his final move. And so John invites us to examine this passage to understand what Jesus is actually doing here at all, what his main goal is, what his glory is. So What is Jesus doing here besides saving a party and turning water into wine? Well, in miraculously turning water into wine, Jesus is transforming the circumstances for the bridegroom. It won't surprise you to hear, hopefully, that... um, There are some differences between a wedding in the first century in Palestine and a wedding in the 21st century in England, okay? You know, we would expect that, but it is almost universally the case that running out of wine is an embarrassing thing to do. (laughs) It's true now, and it was certainly true then, even truer then. The high value that they put on hospitality meant that running out of wine like this at your wedding is something you just don't live down. This would be deeply embarrassing, something of a scar over the bridegroom and his family going forward. And in turning water into wine, Jesus is turning the groom's failure and shame into glory and triumph. He's stepping into this guy's mess, this guy's failure, and covering the bill himself. This groom is not going to be remembered for running out of wine. He's going to be remembered for having amazing wine. Jesus transforms and, in fact, completely reverses the circumstances for this bridegroom. Which is exactly what Jesus has come to do for every one of us and for all of humanity. He comes to transform our failure, our moral failure, and shame which is uh, entirely our fault, entirely our responsibility, he comes to change it into glory and triumph. Where he does it here, by providing what was necessary in providing wine, so he does it for us by providing his blood. By his blood he pays the cost for our failure and mistakes and so transforms it into glory and washes it away. By his blood he pays the cost for our moral failure. He transforms our sin and failure into glory. I just wanna say two things about this transformation. Okay, just two things. One on kind of an individual scale and one on a a larger scale. Um, First, on on a more individual scale, this transformation sounds wonderful. Think, oh, that's amazing. He transforms our shame into glory. This sounds wonderful. Jesus, well done you lovely but in reality when the rubber hits the road it is actually rather uncomfortable it is uncomfortable on a personal level well why is that when it comes to our failures our embarrassments our um ugliness (laughs) we would like as few people as possible to know about them we would much rather they never saw the light of day but Jesus makes a beeline for them, and that's uncomfortable. There was a time, um, many years ago, when I remember feeling this most strongly. I'll just tell the story in, in case it resonates with any of you. And um, uh, many years ago, and I, it was at the end of a relationship after a breakup, and I was deeply uh, embarrassed, really, of the way I'd behaved in the whole thing. It was a mess, and I felt like it was mostly my fault and I was deeply embarrassed and um I remember one night wrestling with it not in prayer <laughs> I was I was not doing that I was just sometimes it just buries you um so I was just buried in it late last night uh, late one night and um I remember feeling that Jesus was coming alongside me to help and to forgive and um and I didn't really want him there. I remember feeling so strongly, I might actually have said it out loud, like, what are you doing here? This has nothing to do with you. This is just my mess. And I'll, I'll come talk to you tomorrow. But it is utterly baffling and yet true that Jesus chooses to step right into the ugliest parts of our lives, the things we would most want hidden, The things we most wish we had never done or would never see the light of day. He steps right into them. He wants to be in them and to transform them. He makes a beeline for them. Why does he do that? Why indeed? Because he loves us. He makes a beeline for it, which makes it uncomfortable. But let me say this, friends. If there is something that you are hoping will never see the light of day, or that you hope Jesus never sees, he sees already. Take it from me, hiding is pointless and exhausting. Behold here the transformation Jesus makes. Look at this bridegroom who deserved to be remembered for his mistake, but instead will be credited with generosity. Remember that Jesus loves you and allow him to transform you. Admit to him what you hide, and he will forgive and wash it away. Behold the transformation, uncomfortable as it is. And the other thing I want to say about this transformation is on a slightly larger scale. Um, There is a danger when we kind of step from this event of water and wine to Jesus transforming all of humanity's shame and sin, that we lose the... uh, miracle of it it was a miraculous act when he turned water into wine it is no less a miraculous act when he transforms our shame into glory God's power is just as much a part of that some people would like to make this a metaphor right they would like to say oh yeah Jesus comes alongside us in our shame and failure and he kind of puts his arm around us like some kind of life coach And he says, don't you worry, kiddo, there's no such thing as failure. There's only the opportunity to grow. And so he transforms our negatives into positives and it's all a game of perspective. But we don't believe that. We believe there is such a thing as moral failure and we are all in it up to our necks and cannot pull ourselves out. And it is by a miraculous act of God that Jesus pulls us out of that and into life. The transformation that Jesus makes in a human life cannot be replicated in any other way. I'll say that again because it's cool. (laughs) The transformation Jesus Christ makes in a human life cannot be replicated in any other way. In the words of the old song, What can wash away my sin? Nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Behold the miraculous transformation. So Jesus transforms here. That's the second, second thing to savor. I'm going to have a sip. Hang on. Okay. The final thing to savor requires us to do a little bit of mental maths. (laughs) how many jars? Six, very good. How big are the jars? 20 to 30 gallons, right? Hopefully your Bible has a helpful little note in there that tells you what it is in liters. Looking at 75 to 115 liters, can I get some nods? Okay, great. What is the average size of a bottle of wine? (laughs) <laughs> 750 milliliters, I had to Google that one. Okay, so a quick bit of mental math says that a very conservative 330 bottles of wine were made that day. If you're looking at the top or end of the scale, we're at 500 plus bottles of wine. Okay, I don't know how many people were at this party, but that is a lot of wine. <laughs> That's a lot of wine. And it's not just any wine, it's really good so good in fact that the master of ceremonies or the master of the banquet as they call it then goes to the bridegroom and says this is really good this is really good you know it would have been amazing if if jesus had made that quantity of wine and it was rubbish that would have been expected that the standard of wine at this stage of the party would be rubbish but it's not rubbish it's not even average it is really good. Behold the extravagance. This is beautiful, unnecessary, freely given extravagance. He didn't have to do anything, but he made a lot and he made it really good. I just highlight this because it's important to remind ourselves of this. This isn't the only place where God's extravagant generosity is demonstrated, but it's a beautiful one. Jesus talks multiple times about God as a father who gives good gifts to his children, who is generous. And here he is, Jesus, demonstrating it. Let's remember this when we pray. It is the most natural thing in the world for our prayers to shrink over time. Disappointment does it, exhaustion does it, unanswered prayers does it, our prayers shrink. You know, we start praying for an awesome job that pays really well and has a really short commute. You're like, yeah, I pray for that. And then you realize how few jobs are actually out there that meet that criteria. And then you realize how hard it is to get them. And then you start praying for an all right job. And then you start praying for a job. And then you just pray for any old job that's out there. It is the most natural thing in the world for our prayers to shrink like that. I know that, I have prayed them. But behold the extravagance. Whatever you're praying for right now, double it. Triple it. Behold the extravagance. Don't ask just for what you want. Well, ask for what you want, What make your heart sing not just what you think is necessary, or what you think is reasonable. Some of us I know are praying big prayers. Some of us are praying for miracles. We are asking for a divine intervention such that the normal binding laws of the natural world would not apply. We are already asking for crazy. Why not double the crazy? Why not? And of course, that's not to say that our prayers should always be feverish sales pitches, right? We see in the Psalms and we know in our own lives, that there are sometimes times we're praying things like, God, where are you? Or how long is this going to take? Or I am in a pit of despair. Sometimes those are the things we pray. But why not double the crazy? We trust God to give us good things, that his timing is perfect, his provision is perfect. And we remember also this tiny little line in here, which is a whole sermon in itself, when Mary says, do whatever he tells you, but behold the extravagance of God. He loves to give good gifts to his children, gifts beyond expectation and necessity. Let's remember to ask for them. Um, and that, those were the three things, the but three things, to behold the celebration, the transformation and the extravagance of God. This is one of those passages that when you kind of sit with it for a little while, it should really make your heart sing, especially on a day like today. So if you are particularly tired this week, or feeling hopeless this week, I just encourage you to sit with this passage for a little while, every morning this week maybe, and remind yourself of the goodness, the generosity of God. I'm just gonna pray for us as we finish this bit of our service. Jesus, thank you so much that we have this window into what you were like on earth. Thank you that we have this picture of you at a party and saving a party, that we have this picture of you transforming a life from shame and sin into glory. Thank you for this picture of your extravagant love, your extraordinary generosity. We pray, Father, that this would sink deep into us over the course of this week, that this passage would raise our hopes and our eyes to you, Thank you, Jesus, that you are alive today and as generous as this even now. Thank you for your word, Lord.